Welcome to Writers Forum. I'm your host, Mike Tusa, and today we'll be talking with poet Andrea Panzica about her poetry collection entitled Rusted Bells and Daisy Baskets. Several of the poems in the collection have received awards, including the Vassar Miller Poetry Award and the Academy of American Poets Award. She has also received the Carol Gelderman Award for Nonfiction Thesis, and she was an associate editor of Bayou Magazine and more importantly, is currently training to become a Louisiana master naturalist. Welcome to the show, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me. Well, let's jump right in. I heard it once said by a writer that the motivation for writing fiction is chronic pain, but for poetry, it's acute pain. Would you agree with that sentiment? Uh, yeah, I would. I think what I really focus on is the acute versus chronic there, um, especially when I was writing these poems. I came to poetry as um, a place, if I had a small moment of um, delight or, or discomfort, pain maybe even, then yeah, I would put that in a poem as opposed to say a longer, like an essay kind of form writing. So yeah, I, re I do think that. And even those moments of delight, they're kind of tinged with pain because, you know, they're gone. And, you know, all I can do is remember them or try to get them down somehow, maybe in a poem, so that I don't lose them forever. You know, so, yeah. I guess that's the acute part. You've got to get it out quickly. Exactly. Okay, yeah. good. Well, folks often wonder about the inspiration for a poem, but you do something fairly unique. At the end of the book of poetry, you actually provide some notes reflecting what the genesis of many of the poems were. Where do you get that idea from? Well, I think probably came from nonfiction writing, um, just the idea of um, kind of show your work or um, now the kids say show receipts, you know, a screenshot or some sort of, um, you know, cite the work, cite um, whoever you got the line from. I've, um, I struggle because now I feel like so much of the poetry I write, it's, um, it is sort of like stealing a little bit because maybe a song is just in my head and it's, it's almost... I don't even know who to credit it to a lot of the time. You really have to do research. And good thing I like to do research so that, you know, makes it good. But, yeah, this book, um, it was right when I was writing my thesis. I was kind of writing it to or, or touching up a lot of the poems because some of them are really old, maybe like from 2015 or 20, 2005, I guess we say. Um, but, yeah, so it just um, it was sort of, like I said, right with nonfiction. And just I like kind of looking at the notes and seeing what all my influences were and it's almost like kind of making a little family of um you know i have mary rufel zora neale hurston um just all, all it's kind of like a bunch of friends getting them all together and hanging out <laughs> do, do you ever have folks tell you that they got something from a poem that you wrote that you yourself had not thought about Oh, all the time. And that's really one of my favorite things about um, sharing my work, because I am sort of um, a little more private, maybe in the Emily Dickinson way of, um, you know, I write so many poems and I do try to publish them, but not all of them. I say, oh, here, read this. I'm sort of private in a way like that. So when when I do finally show my work and then someone, yeah, they um, they say something that I never even thought of. Uh, and maybe on a, a level, I did know that, but you know, I've heard people say the poem knows before you do, um, something to that effect. And, and I totally agree with that. I think that my mind is 
or my subconscious or whatever, wherever the poems come from is kind of way ahead of me, you know, as far as... Well, they say in, in fiction, a lot of times the character, if you write a good character, the character writes the story for you. Yeah. It's similar with poetry. Yeah, totally. Well, can I get you to read uh, a poem for us? Of course. Um, and if you need any kind of background or whatever as an introduction, feel free to do that. All right. I, I was thinking of starting with this... Um, poem called Smoking Outside with My Cat on Sunday Morning. Um, it's kind of short, and there are some, there's not really anything you need to know other than, um, I guess, we're th things are kind of going in a 17-year cycle like cicadas recently, so there's a pop culture reference that I guess I've been thinking about maybe, um, so that's why I guess I chose this one. Okay, Smoking Outside with My Cat on Sunday Morning. On my back porch... A concrete slab surrounded by a dirt and pebble driveway. I arrange a beach chair to get the most sunlight. But under trees I have to trade my torso in the shade to tan my face and feet <clears throat> propped on a plant pot. I inhale with my eyes closed inside the lids bright red like a baby trying to go back in. I think about Ben Affleck, how his wife was good in 13 going on 30, which Megan recommended, and come up with my own private anagram, Panacea Xander. Now Mike's awake. The doors open and I hear as he washes dishes and listens to five blind boys from Alabama. I think I feel the Holy Spirit. Pinky rubs her whiskers on a flimsy tree. She's going into heat. My left eye won't stop crying. Mike joins me from inside. Have you eaten yet today, my little angel trumpet? So that's Very the nice. Very nice. I, I noted that in two of your poems, and, it, and it's hard to describe this in radio, but the structure of the poems are very different. The mm -hmm. lines don't line up directly. Mm -hmm. um, is there a particular reason? And two of the poems are enclosed in hoses, gentle rain and repose and light. Is there a reason why you chose that structure? Yeah, this, well, I will say that the structure came much later. Um, Enclosed in Hose's Gentle Rain was uh, one of these really old poems that I wrote um, when I was at FSU. And so it's taken many, many forms. And um, I kind of, I'm not even sure how. I, I think at one point I just sort of, um, I noticed the lines had either a comma or some sort of um, some sort of pause in the middle of the line, and so I just decided, well, why don't I split it up into tab over so that it it's almost like two columns down the page. I don't know. It almost reminds me of pages in a storybook or something. Like, yeah, it is hard to describe over radio, but um, and then in the later poem, uh, "Repose in Light," both of them are. They share a content. They're um, both kind of times remembered from my hometown in Florida, Merritt Island. Um, yeah, and they're just kind of, you know, being by the water, just kind of feeling like very, very happy with life once as, as a young kid in the first poem and then in the second one as a teenager. And so, yeah, I guess they both share that content. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Can you, is it possible to read the poem since you've separated the lines out? Again, I'm trying to do this so it's mm. clear for radio. Is it possible to read one stack 
as a poem and then reading the other stack as a poem and then reading the integration of both stacks? I think that it could be done. I don't think I've ever attempted it, and okay. I'm not sure it would make sense. But see, and this is another thing that's funny is that now... Um, now when I write, I'm a lot more improvisational and I'm kind of less attached to a narrative or making sense. So, um, yeah, I think that it could definitely be done. I don't know if it would, like I said, if it would, a narrative would form, but I think in a weird way it would, cause you'd still yeah. have all the pieces there and. I tried it with one of them and, and I thought it was interesting to oh, do. Cool. Yeah, so. And I heard like, um, one of my teachers said that, um, a, a good way to kind of just test or just to read a poem is read from the bottom, you know, read the last line. And then, so yeah, I, that's one thing I love about poetry is, is that there's so much kind of freedom like that. Well, let, let me see if I can get you to read us another poem. Okay. Um, well, I, I have Repose in Light right here, um, and I will probably just read it the, the way I'm used to, but yeah, I, I love if anyone has the book and they want to try it different ways, I'd love to hear. Um, this was actually just called Feeling Rich for a while. But then it kind of reminded me of the earlier time of feeling so great just being by water, you know, and and I, I say to my family sometimes growing up in Florida, you know, I had a pool and I was on the canal and and I didn't realize that life wouldn't always be like that, you know, that um, like, wow, that, that was a really great kind of setting to grow up in. And um, so, yeah, these moments, they're actually pretty common. But now that I, I don't live there anymore and yeah, it's a lot different now. Anyway, here we go. Repose in light, feeling rich reprise. You have to walk behind the big brick house on River Road to see the low pool water level, the built-in bench exposed on which a moccasin coils. The pump broke. My boyfriend cranks the hose and nets the baby snake while our host gets beers, his parents at their other home. I remove my cover-up, self-conscious, until a boat in the Indian River, a mile wide, speeds by the house. I stand and drag my cigarette. I want the passengers to want to be me, to like my status. That is, until I crouch, feet submerged on the bench, hidden from boats behind foliage. I peer through blades at the distant bank, eyes at ground level, like I'm peeking from the safety of my burrow. I feel like that ground mammal who hoards food for storage or gorges to build fat when I sit under sun on the dock to save warmth. I swing my feet above the brown water minted gold. Very nice, very nice. Mm -hmm. Um, if I have picked up on the references correctly, you were at one time a dancer. Yes, yes. How did that artistic talent uh, contribute, uh, if it did, to your poetry writing? Definitely. Um, so I, I still do dance. Um, it's probably the first art I ever did, really. I mean, you know, besides drawing and the writing little stories and stuff at school. But, um, yeah, it's been a part of my life for a long time. And I think that what dance gave me was a, a really strong connection with music. And I've never been a musician. Um, well, I would like to be now. But as a youngster, I didn't want to be. Like, 
friends would talk about, um, oh, that's a G quarter, and I'm like, oh, you're ruining the magic for me. But I, I just love to move to music, and I like that you didn't have to talk. Like, I like that I could just be on stage and move um, without having to speak, because when I took a drama class, a drama teacher was like, project, you know, project. And, and now, as an older person, and when I can't hear someone on stage or they mumble in a movie, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I, I get where she was coming from. But, um, but yeah, so dance was, it It really kind of married me to music, which is important in poetry. I think that's kind of like my f- first thing I care about is sound more than, um, well, I don't know, maybe more than image or some other things. Those came later. But now with dance, what I do is I actually, um, like I said, I write more improvisational poems. So I'll just, you know, be at home and just if I have songs stuck in my head, I'll just dance to them, and and then I sit still and meditate for a while, and then I just write like um, without knowing what I'm gonna write. So like in in these these poems, I kind of um, always knew ooh, I'm gonna write about that moment, and now when I write, I'm sort of oh, I don't even know what I'm gonna write. I just start writing. And when I used to hear poets talk about that, I was like, how could you not know? And so it's been kind of um, fun to to try that, and now I kind of want to even swing back more toward more narrative poems like in this book so it's just I that's what I like about art is that it's always changing and um you know if you write the same kind of poem your whole life I mean that could be good but for me I like to try to try different things and then get interested and come back you know Joni I just recently read a biography of Joni Mitchell and Joni Mitchell was a dancer or loved Mm -hmm. to dance I should say and she always said it gave her spontaneity with her writing So is that something that you think it contributes as well? Yeah, definitely. It's just um, it's just the sort of feeling of um, well, what came to mind was like being off balance. Like you might um, sort of stand and then you kind of fall, and it's there's it's not a bad thing to always fall. There's like a whole Tom Bay, I think, or um, I forget. But yeah, I mean, it's I just love that feeling of like falling or um, or spinning. yeah, I just love sensation and, and that kind of feeling. So, yeah, totally good, spontaneity. Good. All right, well, let's see if we can get you to read another poem. Okay. okay? We're um, going to do a couple of those today. Great. So, um, yeah, let's see. How about, I was thinking maybe this one um, about the gator because I saw a video online about someone trapping a gator, and I was on the gator side, so I just want to, um, yeah. Let's, let's think about the gators for a while. <laughs> so this is a uh, gator takes travel cues from Janie and tea cake. At my friend's place in West Coco, I sit on the back porch overlooking a pond, a distant rocket readies for launch. A gator suns himself on a concrete slab, 15 feet from me, a screen between us. He could conceivably climb through the pipe underneath into the St. John's River its mouth hundreds of miles north, though in a moment to the spacecraft, the distance will collapse. His grandpa might have done just that, trekked north to Lake George, inspired Marjorie Keenan Rawlings, made a cameo appearance in The Yearling. Or maybe the gator's ancestor preferred the other Marjorie, Stoneman Douglas, and ventured from this very place I sit to 13 miles west the headwaters of the one and only Everglades. Then he ambled to Lake Okeechobee and the Keys to see for himself the river of grass he'd heard about. All gator generations despise 
like the Marjories did, the one-time majority view, that Florida's monotonous wetlands are worthless and undramatic. Forget blue ridges and yellow stones. 20 miles to the northeast, rocket engines ignite, and I ask Mike to block the sun so I can get a shot. He stands a few moments, then asks, did you take the photo yet? I'm making a video. He walks away. The motionless gator recaptures my sight. Very nice. Thank you. Now, I saw references to Zora Neale Hurston and, uh, as being one of your inspirations. And in fact, I think you even wrote a scholarly essay about naturalization, uh, or naturalism, I should say, in her writing. Yes. How did she, or what do you get from her writings that uh, helps you with your writing? Yes, and, and it's funny, actually, because this the poem I just read is sort of a, um, it, it kind of is, is about that, really, because I, um, I grew up in Florida, which is, um, she grew up in Eatonville, which is near Orlando, and I also grew up near Orlando. And one place that she called her, like, the spot on earth that felt most like home to her was in O'Galley, which is the same county where I was from. Brevard County. So, um, but I say all that to say that I never read her work in Florida at all. It wasn't until I, I was in grad school that I finally read Their Eyes Were Watching God. And I just felt that that was, um, that was sort of like not cool. Like I wish that I would have, I wish that we would have known more about our local kind of heroes. Um, and so I wrote this poem about the gator and only later did I realize that that was kind of the um, the places that I mentioned, like going from um, from Central Florida north, that happens in the book. She goes north to Jacksonville, um, and then later they go south to the Everglades. So that's and it kind of struck me that oh, they're sort of following those waterways that the gator could have followed, and that's why I titled the piece uh, "Gator Takes Travel Cues from Janie and TK" because Janie and TK are the characters in "Their Eyes Are Watching God." So. Um, yeah, but it, it just, um, I wish that I had read her earlier, but, you know, uh, what do they say? Uh, better now than later, or whatever the saying is. Better late than never, yeah. Um, so, but yeah, uh, just that the sort of um, kind of reverence, I guess you could say, for the natural world is um, in her work, and it's something I completely share. And, um, yeah, it's... She's become really important to me, and um, and so, but I just think it's so cool that we share that homeland of mm -hmm. Florida. Well, she much of her writing is social commentary. Yes. Do you get anything from that? I do, um, and it's funny because in another poem of the um, colonial art poem, <clears throat> yeah, um, th that kind of borrows a line from "Their Eyes Are Watching God" as well. Um, you know, did you send your men for chunk after chunk of fresh magnolia wood till you found one that pleased you? Um, that's something that the, her second husband in the book, Joe Stark, I think, or no, that was it. Anyway, but yeah, he did that with finding the straightest light pole to hang up in the town. So like her, yeah, in, the, in that essay you mentioned that I wrote, I talk about how um, like her work, Janie, she kind of like rejects all of her privileges and she um she kind of takes up the cause of the like the marginalized classes that she's part of too and yeah so i just think that um and it's interesting too because zora neil hurston was sort of um you know i read her letters and she 
she really believed in um in her own her own how do you say it? like causes and 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 didn't always agree with the rest of the community but she you know she stuck up for what she believed in and yeah so i think that's really important Good. for sure are there poets that um you draw inspiration from yeah um i mean so many it's hard to think but like two that come to mind are um eileen miles who i really like and terrence hayes so those are two that like immediately come to mind but um yeah so many i i I really love um, to just pick up a book of, po of poems that I don't even know about. Like, I just read this one. Um, Advice from one disciple of Marx to one Heidegger fanatic. And, um, and yeah, it's like, um, I forget the name. It was Santiago, Mario Santiago. I forget his whole name. But he was a Mexican artist in the 70s. And, um, yeah, it was just really great. And so I love not knowing um, a lot about the poet maybe beforehand or knowing a lot of Mary Rufold's another one I really like so do you do you read a lot of poetry in addition to writing it I do and it's funny because I didn't my degree was in nonfiction so I didn't like I don't know like all of the po you know I feel like I didn't um it's sort of like whatever I want to read I just kind of go from one poet to the next without kind of knowing the whole canon they say of you know poets I just kind of go from one to the, the next kind of maybe one poet mentions this poet so then I go to that one and you know that kind of thing are you familiar with uh, writers like Charles Bukowski or Allen Ginsberg and any of the poetry that they wrote oh yeah um Alan especially Allen Ginsberg um, it's so funny when I think of him I think of the internet strangely That's, because yeah, that is odd <laughs> it's funny because um, he you know when he passed away I, you know, they mentioned, I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness. And then, like, a couple weeks later, I was kind of asking around, like, my parents and teachers, like, who said I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness? And no one knew. You know, we're in Florida. If I were in New York or something or, or maybe other places, they would have known. But, and if I had the Internet, I could have looked it up easily. But back then, you, you didn't know. You had to either just someone... You, had to ask someone, you know. So, well, that that poem, how, mm -hmm. which which is the first line, that's the first lines of, was very significant in the First Amendment area as it relates to writing, and that leads me to a larger question: um, Is there a place for poetry today in our immediate gratification social media world? And if so, what is it? For Ginsburg. You know, he was pushing against the margins, as all the beats were, I guess, a little bit. Mm -hmm. But have you thought about that and what, what role it plays now? Yeah, it's funny because there is sort of a, um, I think there's like a reaction because, um, you know, everything is so, oh, Instagram and, you know, and that, that kind of immediate reaction of social media, it can kind of, I don't know, on one level, it's nice to have time to contemplate and really get deep and and so in in some ways it can work against maybe the the like possibility of poetry really like really getting into you um but then on the other hand there's so many poets that i might not have heard of had it not been for social media someone you know tweeting a poem or that kind of thing so yeah i think that it's you know they it definitely helps in some ways and kind of draws back to. But you think it still has a role today? Oh, yes. Oh, and yes. what effect do you think Amanda Gorman's uh, poetry at the inauguration might have in, 
getting other people to look into poetry? I think that it's super positive. Um, I mean, it was sort of amazing to me how they she read at the Super Bowl. Like, you know, in, in no world had I ever imagined poetry at the Super Bowl, but I love it. And, you know, I just think it's so... I think one thing that um, can be hard is that um, maybe we all love singing songs as children, or I don't want to speak for everyone, but I know I love just singing silly songs and... And really, I feel like poetry is just uttering, just an utterance. And um, but then it kind of gets a little corrupted, maybe when in school we have to, what is the poet saying here? And it gets a little standard or standardized. And and so I think that just more poetry in the world it kind of reminds people that um, that it's for everyone, and it's it's just our it's another way to communicate. Um, and again, it does. You don't always have to be delivering a really profound message. I mean, sometimes you could just sing kind of nonsense, and that's okay too. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's. See. Can I get you to read uh, one more before uh, we end for the day? Of course. And just, I want to say thank you so much for oh, this well, time. That's it's been okay. Great. This has been fun. I've enjoyed it. Okay. Cool. So I'll I'll close out with um, the final poem in the book. Seems appropriate. This is called "Floating in the Pool." The trick to floating is to lift your chin, to submit to the sky, and not worry if water slips into your ears. I never was one of those people who pinched their nose when they jumped in. It's easiest with lungs full of air, legs first to go limp on the exhale. You won't fall to the bottom if you hold on a little longer, till the next time you inhale, I swear. If the pool somehow flipped, I'd fall like rain, or more like a toad in one piece. Gravity, the only rule of water that matters to me, each molecule torturous if dripped by the drop on a forehead. Under the rain gutter, where the deck meets the porch, after every storm, there's a little less of the Chattahoochee rock you can't get anymore. I have the time to calculate the depth of pool water if emptied into my house. Two inches above the baseboard? Six? But then I'd have to subtract the displacement of furniture and pets. I don't want a eureka moment right now. A teacher might use my floating body to illustrate surface tension. I'm bulging from the bowl, here a knee, here a nose. A marginal world, not land or sea, a beach. I'm peering out through a screen or from the chamber of a shell, the arm of the pool pump, the only sound. Very nice. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. You've been listening to WRBH's Writer Form. I'm your host, Mike Tuse, and we've been talking to Andrea Panzeca about her poetry collection, Rusted Bells and Daisy Baskets. Andrea, thank you for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. Until next time. <laughs>